Hi everyone and welcome to The Hope Machine. I'm Victoria Reid from Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation. Once again, we're shining a light on some of the incredible research that's giving real hope to people with lung conditions across the UK. We'll be talking to two brilliant researchers today. First up is Dr. Ramesh Kurukularachi, who could be about to revolutionise the way that asthma is diagnosed. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Please remember that we are a charity, and so we're only able to support this kind of research thanks to people like you. If you would like to donate, there's more information in the description of this episode, or you can go to asthma.org.uk forward slash hope machine to support our work. Now let's hand over to Ian Gerald from Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation, who's with our first researcher. Hi Ramesh, thank you so much for joining us today and taking some time to speak with me. Before we start talking about your research, I just wanted to ask you a few questions so we can get to know you a bit better. What would you have been if you hadn't have decided to be a researcher? I guess if I am being honest with you, if I wasn't being a researcher, I would probably be a clinical doctor. That was my initial career goal. How would you describe your ideal day off? I guess it would be getting out into the countryside on a long hike with the family. Um, I love to, to be outdoors, uh, I love walking. I'm very lucky to be down here in Southampton. We have the new forest on our doorstep. Can you also now tell us something about you that maybe not many people know? Something that uh, people may not be aware of is that I'm very much into photography, really have a, a passion for that. I don't have any formal training in that, but I, I, I do love to get out and about with my camera. Well, now we can, we can move on to um, talking about your amazing research that we're helping to fund and helping to make happen. I guess the big question is, you know, why is asthma so hard to diagnose for such a common condition? What makes it so difficult to get that diagnosis right? I think it really comes down to the fact that, you know, asthma isn't one condition. This is what we've learned. It's a collection of, of many different subspecies of, of conditions or what we now call phenotypes to give it the technical name. And actually being able to accurately diagnose that is, is a real challenge because we don't have any simple single sort of soundbite diagnostic test that we can just apply. And it's all too familiar really to hear this story where patients have struggled to get a diagnosis of asthma for some time and they hadn't been on the right treatment as a consequence. That has had a huge impact on their lives. It's not just the diagnosis, but it's working out who the people at risk of worse disease outcomes are. And again, there's a huge amount of work to be done there. So if we could find a better way to make diagnosis simpler and more accurate, and also be able to, you know, understand which patients are the ones that are likely to have more severe disease, do you think that that would mean that we can care for patients better, and it would avoid things like people being prescribed incorrect treatments. It really would allow us to personalise the approach. When we look at how medicine is advancing, this is really becoming the buzzword, personalised approaches tailored to the, the individual person and their type of disease, but also the, the wider person, not, not just the disease. So this would really be the ambition is being able to tailor a diagnosis to the individual in front of you in the consulting room and really apply almost bespoke approaches it makes total sense when especially in a condition like asthma as you say it's such a broad 
collection of conditions essentially that it makes sense that it's not going to be a one size fits all and if we can get to a place where the right people are getting the right treatment it will improve everybody's lives which is you know a really exciting ambition can you tell us a bit about you know what is your research project aiming to achieve so we're really looking to hone in on, on this issue of trying to come up with some diagnostic markers for asthma uh, and also for the risk of having more severe asthma. So really addressing what we were just talking about. And um, if you like, this is the holy grail uh, of any disease, but particularly asthma. And as we've said, where we've struggled to make um, inroads into having these clear diagnostic tools. So what we are looking at here are particular sort of biomarkers, if you like, which are biological substances that can be measured in individual patients readily and easily, and where those measurements might then give us information to help make a clear diagnosis, and also perhaps to give us an idea of whether they have a, a risk of more severe disease. In this study, what we're looking at are particular substances called microRNAs. And these microRNAs are short sequences of genetic material or RNA that have regulatory influences on genes and their expression. They influence potentially who we are and what we're going to be like. We are finding across a range of disease areas is that there are microRNA signatures, if you like, that associate with particular diseases and particular features of diseases. And there is growing interest in applying that model to asthma. Another element is looking at the severity risk of asthma. In a nutshell, you're trying to identify blood signatures that will, number one, help diagnose asthma accurately with a blood test, and number two, help define which people might have the more severe form of asthma from a blood test. So we have partnered with a small business enterprise called Highfield Diagnostics. And as their name suggests, they are into creating diagnostic platforms. And they're based at Southampton uh, as well. And one of the, the technologies that they have mastered is lateral flow uh, device techniques uh, for point of care testing. These tests now have become commonplace. In a lot of workplaces, employees have to do these tests uh, regularly to, to check on their COVID um, sort of immunity status. But these tests can be used for a variety of, of, of purposes. What we would look to do is, is actually use that technology to be able to deliver a microRNA detection test. If things you know, go well in this study, what do you think the practical impacts for people with with asthma or with symptoms of asthma may well be in the future. What do you think those, those impacts for both the health service and for people might be? Well, I think if we look at individual people suffering with asthma, one would hope that this gives them a shorter path to getting a correct diagnosis, correct treatment and supportive measures, and a shorter path to flagging up the risk of whether they have more severe disease potential in the future. How long is this study going to take and, and you know how long do you think it might be until we could see this kind of approach being actually used in clinical practice? Well we're hoping to complete the core laboratory work uh, on the samples by the end of this year. Our progress has obviously been slightly hampered by other things going on in the world. We hope to be on track 
to, to uh, get all of that collated by the end of the year. And then it's working with our partners at Highfield Diagnostics to develop the actual diagnostic tests. And that's going to take at least a year to 18 months. But we would hope that by you know, August 2023, we will have got some clear findings and potentially some, some viable diagnostic tests. Well, I wish you, you know, huge success and luck with the study. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how it develops over the years. And just to finish, I wanted to kind of lay down another sort of challenge to you. And that is, can you explain all of that which we've just talked about regarding your study? Can you explain it in about 60 seconds as if I was a nine-year-old? What we're faced with is a real problem of making a clear diagnosis for people with asthma. And we know that asthma is a really common problem affecting over 5 million people in the UK. And another dilemma that we face is knowing which people with asthma will do worse. There's been a huge amount of research trying to find clear ways of making proper diagnoses, but we haven't got a clear answer yet. Now, what we're going to look at in our research is assessing markers that individual people might show in their blood that could reflect their risk of having asthma or more severe asthma. And we're going to test these markers in populations of patients that we have enrolled in our studies. To begin with, what we will do is look at the markers of people who have asthma compared to those who don't. And then we will go on to look at the markers of people who have more severe asthma compared to those who have mild disease. And once we know what the various relevant markers are, we're going to try and create a simple diagnostic test that can be used in the clinic by a doctor or nurse to help manage people's asthma. Good luck. Best wishes with all of the work. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing how it pans out over the next few years. Thanks very much, Ian. It's great to talk to you. And it's great to be involved in a project with Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation. Thanks, Ian and Ramesh. Such an impressive response from the scientific community. If you're enjoying the show today, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you fancy seeing our researchers on the big screen, this interview is also available on YouTube. You can just click the link in our description. Next up is Professor Dean Fennell, who's looking into mesothelioma, a particularly aggressive form of cancer that's caused by asbestos. Professor Dean's research could make a real difference to people suffering with this condition. Hi, Dean. Thanks very much for joining us today. Before we start talking about your research, I just wanted to ask you a few questions so we can get to know you a bit better. What would you have been if you hadn't been a researcher? I'd say a musician. I went to music school in my teens and got to about 17, 18, had to make a decision. And uh, it would have been one or the other, but I think I picked the right, uh, right vocation. What would your ideal day off be? I love the sea. I'd love to go and spend uh, a day at the seaside, actually. And can you tell us something about you that maybe not many people would know? I used to love sport in my teens and I grew up in Oxford, I was born in Oxford and uh, represented the city. Quite an important competition actually for me. Um, it's probably the highest I ever got to uh, in triple jump. Ah, wow. Fortunately fractured my leg on, on the first jump actually. So no. yeah, that was, uh, that was me out of the competition and out of the triple jump, unfortunately. 
So now I guess we can move on and talk about um, your research and your project that the BLF are funding. So just thinking about the subject that you're researching and the disease you're looking into. So mesothelioma, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what is mesothelioma and why is it such a cruel disease? It's a really unusual cancer. It's um, a cancer that's caused by a known substance, actually, which is a toxin called asbestos. And the substance has been used for millennia, I think we've been told, as a, a substance with really good insulating properties. And so this substance is a natural fibre, and when this gets into the body, it causes the cancer. It takes several years for it to happen. When it does, very often, this causes a, uh, a cancer that can grow to enormous dimensions, actually, within the chest. It can straightjacket the lung, it can put a brace around the lung, and it's really an unpleasant tumour. What's the current kind of life expectancy on average for people who are diagnosed? Mesothelioma has fallen into different types, actually, and um, we would honestly say now that with the latest sort of immunotherapy available, patients may be expected to live in the order of about 18 months or so. And that's increased approximately six months from what we've been used to for the last decade and a half, which was with chemotherapy. Still, a diagnosis of 18 months is, is terrible, actually. Why do you think it's, you know, been so difficult to develop treatments for this disease, you know, compared to other cancer types where we know there's been a lot more success, for example, in breast cancer? Mm-hmm. What makes mesothelioma so difficult? There are a few things. This is a relatively rare cancer compared to breast cancer and to, uh, to lung cancer. And it's because of that rarity that um, this is not necessarily a large focus for the drug industry. It's probably related to the fact that we haven't then had a large number of clinical trials you know, over the last number of years, particularly the trials that lead to transformation, to improvement in therapy. And these would be large randomized studies. And then lastly, I think our knowledge of the biology of mesothelioma has been lacking, partly due to, to the lack of uh, good quality research. It's only recently that we've been able to use, you know, the ability to look at the genes within the cancer, for example, to understand what makes it tick, what's the blueprint that makes a mesothelioma. But we're now in a position to be able to start treating this cancer much more effectively. And that's really where we've begun to see these, these real improvements. Can you tell us about the, the latest research study that, that the British Lung Foundation um, and ASME UK are funding? And what is it you're looking to test with this new study? Yeah, so this is a study called Nero. What we're looking at in this study is quite new for mesothelioma, but thankfully we've got uh, data coming from different directions, actually BLF supported research that led to this data. So, you know, one of the goals of any effective treatment for cancer is to be able to deal with the cancer, but minimize what I would call collateral damage. Chemotherapies tend to be very non-specific in their ability to, to target the cancer. And that, that's why you know, safety is always a, a concern sometimes with complications of chemotherapy. There is the opportunity now with our understanding of the genetics of mesothelioma to find drugs which can target just the cancer and leave the rest of the, the body alone. Now, we've been studying a drug which is already approved, actually, for ovarian cancer and for breast cancer. This treatment is extremely effective. It it comes in the form of a tablet which targets the cancer because the cancer has a particular gene that's abnormal. What we're doing in the Nero trial is trying to see if we can extend survival, extend the 
period by which the cancer also remains under control. And the way we will do that is not by looking at the genes, but looking at how the cancer behaves to something similar to how this tablet works. And actually that's chemotherapy. Normal chemotherapy that we use damages DNA. And for those patients who have an inability to repair the DNA because this mutation is present, the cancers will shrink usually, uh, yeah. or be stable for a long period of time. And so we can use that knowledge by selecting those patients who have benefited from uh, the initial chemotherapy. And then when they've had their course of chemotherapy, we give them this tablet. And actually, from what we've seen with ovarian cancer trials, this is not the first time our design has been attempted. Actually, the licenses have come through this design by pre-selecting on the nature of how this cancer behaves in chemotherapy, giving them the drug in a randomized setting, and then hopefully measuring an extended survival in these patients. We're doing this in two stages, actually. The, the first stage is what we call a phase two. And the phase two is designed to give us the first insight into whether this drug is better or not compared to the comparator. In this case, the comparator would be an observation, actually. The aim would be to look at how long the cancer is stabilized in the phase two, about 190 patients. If we meet the target that we expect in terms of benefit, then that same study can continue to enroll actually to a, what we call a registration study, where we would hope if that's positive, then this drug may then become a licensable um, agent to be used on the NHS and worldwide. If this research goes well and it turns out to have benefit for people, what do you think that could mean for people who have mesothelioma and what makes you excited about this particular study? Well, you know, there's an inherent biology within mesothelioma that we think this harnesses and um, could target. And for that reason, if this treatment is as effective as we believe it could be in a randomized trial, then this transforms opportunity for patients. It increases the number of choices that patients might have, increases the life expectancy if that phase three is positive. Now, we know we can do this in the relab setting. We've got cases now where we're seeing positive trials emerge. And um, we hope this is a continuation of that. So essentially, are we saying that, you know, at the moment, treatment options for mesothelioma are very limited and don't work very well. And this could be another option that will help extend people's lives. Absolutely. And a relatively non-toxic one from our experience. I mean, it sounds sounds extremely promising and, and really, you know, great news that these kinds of of studies are actually getting funded and getting off the ground. You know, I know from the work that the BLF has done supporting mesothelioma research over the years that, you know, we've really gone from a place where it was quite hopeless. You know, there wasn't much happening in the research world in mesothelioma. There wasn't a lot of hope. And now I think we're in a place where there is so much more hope for developing better treatments for people, thanks to, to studies like your own. I was wondering if you'd be able to try and explain the research project in about a minute or so in a really simple way so that, for example, a nine-year-old could, could understand it. We believe we have a tablet which we can give patients that may stop their cancers from growing. When we give the tablet, what we're doing effectively is targeting the cancer and actually hopefully preventing the patient from getting any side effects. And we do this because we feel that patients can continue on the tablets as long as they need to be. And by continuing to treat the cancer and not cause these side effects, patients won't want to stop the treatment because they're unwell. We have very few treatments for this cancer. 
And so one of the thoughts is that maybe giving the tablet after previous treatment, which we can give, we might be able to delay the cancer from growing again, uh, coming back and um, possibly shorten the life of the patient. Thanks very much for your time, Dean. It's been really great talking to you. I wish you lots of luck with the study and really looking forward to seeing what the results are in a few years. Pleasure. We'll go as fast as we can so we can release those results to the public. Absolutely. Thank you to Ian and Dean. Really exciting work which offers so much hope of better treatments for people with mesothelioma. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support more amazing research projects like the ones you've heard about today, please do consider making a donation. There's more information in the description of this episode, or you can go to asthma.org.uk forward slash hope machine to support our work. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.